This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. America's the greatest country in the world. Happy Saturday. Thanks for being here. Uh, I was going to say that I hope you had a wonderful Christmas, but that feels odd because doesn't that just seem like forever ago? Even, even I hope you had a good New Year seems like I was a couple months back. Um, but either way, I did. I do hope you had a good Christmas and a good New Year's. It's awesome to be back. Got a lot to do today. Going to talk about toxic masculinity in the next hour. Um, coming up after that, we'll talk about where populism comes from. What, why, why does it happen? What, what needs to happen in order for populism to erupt? We'll do that. Also, uh, Don Lemon, I'm sure you know what I'm referring to, saying that what happened in Chicago, that kidnapping and torture of the 18-year-old, uh, he says it, it wasn't evil. And, and my, my angle on this is why would you even feel the need to question that? Why even challenge that claim? that it was evil. We made a Facebook video about this. It's on our Facebook page now. You can check it out, but we'll talk about that coming up a little later as well. Uh, but first, I want to start here. Uh, I just want to let everyone know the, the theme of the show this year. The theme last year, and I apologize because I, I did not say it out loud enough. Uh, it was, I thought about it a lot, but we didn't, we didn't say it out loud enough, and I should have. Uh, it's a quote from Jonathan Edwards, who was an early 18th century theologian he was the guy behind the great awakening sinners in the hands of an angry god was his most famous sermon uh he said resolution one i will live for god resolution two if no one else does i still will so that was the theme of last year when no one else does i still will when no one else does what Whatever. When no one else does the right thing, I still will. When no one else does blank, I still will. So that was last year's theme. This year's theme, uh, whatever is true. So that's going to be our theme for the show this year. It's going to be how I approach uh, the show. Uh, we're making a few changes. I'm making a few changes that I think you will notice. We'll take a little time to find the right gear, get some momentum, fix bad habits. Uh, but I think you'll notice a difference. You'll feel a difference. Uh, when you're done listening. So where does it come from? So whatever is true, uh, it's Philippians 4.8. So he's writing uh, to the church in Philippi in Greece. And he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And the God of peace will be with you. So that's what I want to focus on on this show. Whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Why? Well, because the God of peace will be with you. You'll feel better. Uh, and, and the opposite of these things are, you know, what is false, dishonorable, wrong, ugly, bad. Like I, 
I don't want to spend my Saturdays <laughs> thinking on those things. Now, obviously, we still got to point those out, right? So we will talk about what happened in Chicago. So we will still point out evil because we need to know about it. I'm not going to ignore it. So we'll talk about it. But we will always bring it back to whatever is true. I, I, I so appreciate the time you spend here on Saturdays or if you're listening live or whenever on, on the podcast. But um, I appreciate it so much that I don't want you to leave here with anything other than these things. So that's the theme moving forward, whatever is true. I've got a secondary theme as well. Uh, I know so little. I want to explain coming up a little uh, later where this comes from in a bigger context. Uh, but let me give you just an example of, of this. So again, the theme is I know so little. Quick question. And this is a silly example. Like I said, we'll, we'll give a real example coming up, but just a silly example. How big is Greenland? If you're near your a computer, grab Google map, right? Just the map of the world. Or just, you can envision it. How big is Greenland? And if you've seen Mighty Ducks 2, Greenland is full of ice. Iceland is very nice. I always think of that when I think Greenland. But every map of, of, uh, of the world, Greenland is huge. It's humongous. It's bigger than Africa. It's, it's definitely bigger than North America. So it's bigger than Canada, America, and Mexico. Just Greenland. It's humongous. Well, here's the thing. Africa is 14 times as big as Greenland. But if you look at a map, Greenland is bigger than Africa. Now, I'm not just telling you that Africa is a little bit bigger than Greenland. It's 14 times as big. Greenland is actually only as big as the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Zaire, right in the middle of Africa. So it's as big as one country in Africa, not even the biggest country in Africa. Well, how, what? What? not even close. How could that be? Now, we don't need to go into a science experiment here, but uh, our science lesson, but the earth is a globe. So when you flatten it out, it's just distorted. So anything that's closer to the poles looks way bigger than it actually is. That's why Russia's not nearly as big uh, as it looks on the map either. So it's just, it's just screwed up. And we, <laughs> we don't even... So here, I heard another example. Uh, Greenland is smaller than Egypt and Libya. So next time you look at a map, if you don't have one in front of you, you'll, you'll see, you'll look at it, you'll be like, holy cow, Greenland is humongous. No, it's not. So who cares? Like, no one cares about that. The point is, our perception about things is way off. Way off. And even the things that we think are so in tune and so rock solid and so right, probably need a little retuning, which is why we're going to focus on what is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. And it's going to take some humility to constantly question our perspective, constantly question uh, everything we think we know to make sure that we are tuned properly. If we don't do that, then we'll never be able to fully focus on whatever is true. So happy new year. Glad you're here. All that being said, let's get started. So take a break here. We'll get back. Uh, I want to talk about millennials. They're the worst. And I am one, I guess. I think I'm one of the older millennials. I don't have Snapchat though, so I don't know if that disqualifies me. But all the adjectives that are used to describe millennials, you know them, lazy, narcissistic, entitled. Probably all true for the most part. Uh, but there's one word 
one characteristic that I think is most applicable, even more than lazy and entitled. And this one characteristic is the source of most problems of that generation. I'll tell you what it is. We'll talk about it next. one 888 and Slater Radio on uh, Twitter. This is the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. From Simon Sinek, he has maybe the best TED Talk ever, Uh, definitely top three. Uh, So just Google his name, you'll find it, Simon, S-I-N-E-K. He's been on Glenn's show a few times as well. He was on Glenn, it's been like a year or so ago, and and the title of this uh, topic was Humans Are Designed to Be Good, and that was a great interview as well. Anyway, uh, his TED Talk was a couple years ago, and he hasn't stopped doing his thing. It's fantastic. This is an interview he did. Uh, about millennials it's 15 minutes i just want to play one part of it here maybe as the weeks go on we can play uh, a little bit more of it but he says millennials are in the workplace seen as lazy and entitled and narcissistic but he went a little deeper talked to a bunch of millennials in the workplace and, and it finds out it turns out that what millennials want is to work at a place with purpose which is good they want to make an impact, whatever that means. And they want perks. So businesses, companies, they, they try to do that, right? Try to make sure that millennials have purpose, make sure that they can see the impact they're making, and they give them perks. They give them free food and beanbag chairs. So they get these things. But it turns out millennials are still not happy. They're still not fulfilled. Why not? So there's a few reasons. Uh, he lists out, he rattles off four. One is bad parenting. Two are technology changes. Three is environment. We'll talk about those as the weeks go on, but I want to focus on the fourth one, impatience. So this is Simon Sinek talking about that problem, how, about that problem, how millennials are impatient. Now this is talking about millennials, but I think this is true for everyone to a certain extent. Here it is, 1250. Right? Now you add in the sense of impatience. Right? They've grown up in a world of instant gratification. You want to buy something, you go on Amazon, it arrives the next day. You want to watch a movie, log on and watch a movie. You don't check movie times. You want to watch a TV show, binge. You don't even have to wait week to week to week. Right? I know people who skip seasons just so they can binge at the end of the season. Right? <laughs> instant gratification. You want to go on a date, you don't even have to learn how to be like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> You don't even have to learn and practice that skill. You don't have to be the uncomfortable one who says, says yes when you mean no and says no when you mean no and yes when you... You don't have to swipe right. Bang, I'm a stud. <laughs> right? You don't have to learn the social coping mechanisms. Right? Everything you want, you can have instantaneously. Everything you want, instant gratification. Except job satisfaction 
and strength of relationships, there ain't no app for that. They are slow, meandering, uncomfortable, messy processes. And so I keep meeting these wonderful, fantastic, idealistic, hardworking, smart kids. They've just graduated school. They're in their entry-level job. And I sit down with them and I go, how's it going? They go, I think I'm going to quit. I'm like, why? They're like, I'm not making an impact. I'm like, you've been here eight months. <laughs> you know? It's as if they're standing at the foot of a mountain. And they have this abstract concept called impact that they want to have in the world, which is the summit. What they don't see is the mountain. I don't care if you go up the mountain quickly or slowly, but there's still a mountain. And so what this young generation needs to learn is patience. That some things that really, really matter, like love or job fulfillment, joy, love of life, self-confidence, a skill set, any of these things, all of these things take time. Sometimes you can expedite pieces of it, but the overall journey is arduous and long and difficult. And if you don't ask for help and learn that skill set, you will fall off the mountain. Or you will, the worst case scenario, the worst case scenario, and we're already seeing it, the worst case scenario is we're seeing an increase in suicide rates. We're seeing an increase in this generation. We're seeing an increase in accidental deaths due to drug overdoses. We're seeing more and more kids drop out of school or take leaves of absence due to depression. Unheard of. These are all, this, is, this is really bad. The best case scenario, the best, those are all bad cases, right? The best case scenario is you'll have an entire population growing up and going through life and just never really finding joy. They'll never really find deep, deep fulfillment in work or in life. They'll just, just waft through life and it'll be just, it's fine. How, how, how's your job? It's fine. The same as yesterday. How's your relationship? It's fine. Like that's, that's the best case scenario which leads me to the, the fourth point, which is environment. Which we can stop there. How good is that? Uh, remember that last part about the, uh, the, I'm fine. We'll get to that a little later. How about the line, instant gratification isn't fast enough? Right? That, that's where we're living in right now. Instant gratification isn't fast enough. Millennials, among all the other things that you can characterize them, are impatient. And it makes sense. Our whole lives, everything has been fast. Everything. So I'm reading this uh, biography about Ulysses S. Grant. So you're going to hear a lot of Grant stories over the next uh, couple weeks. He was traveling from his uh, town, his uh, hometown in Ohio, Georgetown, Ohio, to West Point in New York. And he got on a boat in this tiny little town on the Ohio River and sailed on this little boat to Pittsburgh. And when he got to Pittsburgh, he had a choice. He was going to Philadelphia was the next stop. He could either take a horse and, and wagon. The problem with the horse and wagon is it was so shaky, it would mess up your brain, right? You just, it would, like your, it would rattle your bones. It was so unbelievably uncomfortable. But the benefit was it went eight miles per hour. Or you could take the much slower canal boats. Ulysses went with the canal boat. So then he gets to Philadelphia and he could board a train. First time ever. He said, what an experience. He wrote this in his autobiography. He said, what an experience. I thought the perfection of rapid transit had been reached. How fast did this train go? How fast do you think the train went? 
from Philadelphia to New York City. Perfection of rapid transit had been reached. How fast did it go? Keep in mind the horse and wagon went at eight miles an hour. The train, 18 miles per hour. He wrote that 18 miles per hour seemed like he was annihilating space. (laughs) Think about that. Annihilating space at 18 miles per hour. That's a traffic jam. But back then it was annihilating space. The perfection of rapid transit had been reached at 18 miles per hour. Okay, so, so obviously things have gotten much faster since then. So of course, millennials are going to expect things to be fast. The problem is we expect everything to be fast. We expect, sure, uh, download speeds to be fast, but we also expect fulfillment to be fast. We expect our dreams to be achieved like American Idol style overnight. It's the expectation that millennials are going to be CEOs or superstars in a week or two. We've told the story before of the CEO who had an intern come into his office and the intern, the intern said he'd be running the company in eight months. <laughs> and the CEO's like, I've been here 37 years. What are you talking about? Why, do they, why would a millennial even think that way? It's because everything has been so fast that they've been almost trained to be impatient or maybe, maybe not trained to be impatient, but not trained to be patient. And I look at the lifespan of Ulysses S. Grant. It seems like he, and this, it's such a shame that he's not studied as much. I didn't know anything about him before I started reading the book. He lived 10 lives before the Civil War even broke out, before he even became a general in the Civil War. He lived so many incredible lives, well before he became president. And then he lived a few more lives after that. But you just look at the story arc of his life, and it took time. And, and he needed to have each phase in order to succeed in the next and, and to, to succeed in, in the last, which is basically his presidency. He did a couple more things after that, but presidency was the culmination, right? He needed every phase before that in order to be successful in that last phase. He needed to marinate in each phase. He needed each step. He didn't rush it. We're always in a rush, right? We're always in a rush. Always, always, always. And millennials are in a constant state of rush daily and also just their life in general constant state of rush and nothing good ever comes from this. And this isn't just true for millennials. It's true for almost everyone. My small groups, we did a uh, sermon series, Bible study on um, excavation. And, and the guy painted this imagery of when you're in your 20s, 30s, you look around at your peers and it looks like everyone's building these skyscrapers. It looks like everyone's so successful. And this is because of social media. And this is what Simon Sinek went on to talk about with technology. And um, everyone can can create an image of who they really are on Instagram and all the 60. rest. So we look around at the giant buildings, these skyscrapers that our peers are building around us. And we have just this two-story house or whatever. And he says, no, you know what? Don't rush. Excavate. Use your 20s, use your 30s as excavation time. Find out who you really are and who you really want to be. So that way, when it is time to build, you can build a a tower that will actually last. So that's my encouragement to to millennials is to not rush and, and spend this time excavating. You'll be way, way better off. 1-888-900-3393. All right, I want to get to that last point. 
that Simon talked about. The uh, at best, how are things going at work? Fine. How are you? Fine. That's the best case scenario. And that's not even good. We'll chat about that coming up next. one 888 and Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. There's one last point on this, and then we'll uh, move on. The last week at off, and uh, wife and I, we binged True Detective season one. Uh, I tried watching it like a year ago, and it was way too dark. I got, I don't need more drama. In my, I don't need more dark things. So I couldn't, I couldn't get into it at all. And I was, I think I stopped after three episodes. Maybe I don't even know if I made it through episode three. I was like, ah, I don't need this. Uh, but everyone just keeps raving about it. So we, we tried again. I pushed through and I think I expected it to be dark. So it wasn't as shocking. Uh, it's awesome. So uh, glad we, we pushed through. So there's a scene in, I'm not giving anything away if you haven't seen it, but there's a scene in, in maybe the last episode where the two main characters catch up after 17 years and they ask each other how they're doing. And they each say, or they ask what they're doing. Yeah, what are you up to? And they each say, nothing. I work and go home. And it's their way of saying they're lonely because, as you see in the show, they've destroyed every meaningful relationship in their lives. And now their life has been reduced to I work and I go home. No relationships. Why not? They rushed. They rushed. They never prioritized family. And there's a ton of other issues too, but they, they threw themselves so deeply into their job that there's no time for a meaningful relationship. They try to take shortcuts on everything on, on the relationship part and they just couldn't. So maybe some, maybe a New Year's resolution. Slow down. Slow down. Simon Sinek, one last thing on this. Simon in, in his, uh, in that video, he says one reason why millennials are so lonely and depressed is because they're, they're rushing, right? And, and obsessed with their phones. And, and because we're in our phones all the time, we, we miss opportunities when relationships are formed. Think of any boardroom you've ever been in, any meeting you've ever been in with a bunch of people. You got 20 people around a table, a boardroom table, and everyone's on their phone waiting for the meeting to start. Right? Every single person is typing away something on their phone. Those are opportunities when people used to sit around and say, hey, Charlie, how's your dad? Oh, he's doing much better. Thank you. That's how you form relationships or, man, I just, I'm so stressed. What's going on? I can't get this project done. Oh man, I'll help you out with that. That's how trust is formed. We skip over those things. And these moments don't happen because everyone's on their phone and everyone's in a rush. And when you have no relationships, you get lonely and depressed. You may be around people all day, but the rush, 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 I'm, I'm out. I don't want to miss out on those relationships anymore. That's why I bought a flip phone among other reasons. But um, let's try not to rush. It doesn't mean do less. Not saying do less, just slow down. All right, I want to uh, talk about this Don Lemon situation. So, I, I don't, I don't, I can't think of any other scenario, at least recently, when this has been more clear that there's certain people, generally they fall into the progressive category, that have a value system or a worldview that makes them unwilling or unable to recognize 
evil. And, and I think it comes from this cult, this fetish of tolerance. And, and it's infected people so badly that nothing can be evil. And, and you hear it like, oh, well, you know, to each his own. Or I can't judge. Who am I to say? Right? <laughs> You've heard all that before. Now, you know what happened in Chicago. You had these four people kidnapped and bound and gagged a, a mentally disabled 18-year-old. I still don't exactly need what, know what mentally disabled means in this context for him. There's a spectrum of that, right? I don't know what, uh, what his situation was, but it doesn't matter. I mean, they tortured him. He was able to escape, and, and the, the people live-streamed it on, on Facebook. Right? So you know the story. We don't need to go into that. But the next day or whenever, CNN, uh, Don Lemon had a guest, and the guest said, but at the end of the day, you just try to wrap your head around evil. That's what this is. It's evil. It's brutality. It's man's inhumanity to man. And Don Lemon said, I don't think it's evil. I don't think it's evil. I think these are young people, and I think they have bad home training. And, okay, first, first, first things first. Uh, I don't get outraged at what people say anymore. I'm getting too old for this. Instead, I really just want to understand why people react a certain way. What made Don Lemon decide to even contest for one second the suggestion that tying up and torturing another human being is evil or not? Like, why, why even question that? <laughs> what, what in his brain, as he was listening to that, made him decide to challenge that argument. That's such a no-brainer argument. Like, that's, that's something, if I was Don Lemon, I'd be like, okay, yes, that's right. And then you just move on to the next question. Just go with that. Why would he even question that? So that's what I've been thinking about the last couple of days. And, and uh, here's my answer. It's because there's no such thing as objective truth to many people. There's no such thing as right and wrong, they think. It's all relative. So who is he to say it's evil? Well, I'll, I'll tell you exactly who you are, Don Lemon, to say it's evil. You are an adult male with a soul and a conscience and a moral compass written on your heart. That's who you are. And you also are an adult male with a brain who can decipher right and wrong. But it's so funny because he denies those things and then calls it enlightened. Right? Like That's the enlightened thing. If you ignore your conscience and you ignore a moral compass or you, you deny that there's, and you, you, you ignore right and wrong and you say, you just, you just, you flip it off with, um, well, who am I to say? Like, that's the enlightened point of view. That's what's so odd about the whole thing. So yes, Don, yes, bad parenting, obviously. But that doesn't excuse the evil and that doesn't uh, mean that it's also not evil. <laughs> right? I mean, it can be both, I guess is the point. It's not one or the other. It can be both. It can be bad parenting, which it probably is, and evil. You know, it's, the bad parenting, listen, we talk, you know, you've heard the show before. We talk about parenting all the time. We talk about uh, strong families, the importance of them all the time. A broken family may put a, a child on a path maybe where they uh, don't know how to read or they don't know how to get a nice firm handshake and look someone in the eyes. Maybe they'll abuse drugs. Maybe they'll skip school. These are kind of the things that could happen if you're in an unstable home. 
But when you bound and gag and cut and torture someone, like that, that's not just bad parenting. That's also evil, Don. But let me tell you what's bothering me more than anything about uh, this whole thing. Daniel Patrick Moynihan, he was a Democratic senator in New York a couple decades back. He tells the story of the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. I'm sure you've heard of it before. You may not know the details, but you've heard of it. It was in 1929, Chicago, during Prohibition, on February 14th, St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Shocked the nation. It became a legend. Right? In the World Book Encyclopedia, and you can only fit so many things in the World Book Encyclopedia, right? The, the world, the history of the world. Two entries for the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. And the country at that moment, like we couldn't take it anymore. And they, that's when they, that was the final straw. And, and then eventually the American people passed another constitutional amendment, ending the previous constitutional amendment, ending prohibition once and for all. Okay. So the St. Valentine's Day massacre, it's a massacre after all. How many people died in said massacre? How many people do you think died at the St. Valentine's Day massacre? Think about what happened afterwards, right? Like the nation shocked, mortified. We can't go on like this anymore. How many people were killed? 500? I mean, like, that's a, what does it have to be to be a massacre? 50? Seven. Seven people. Do you know how many people were shot in Chicago Christmas weekend? 60. Six zero. So, St. Valentine's Day massacre, seven people shocked the nation. Chicago Christmas weekend, 60. Yeah. Six zero, 60 people shot in Chicago. What the heck? All right, so check out this quote. This numbness, this near narcoleptic state can diminish the human condition to the level, and I love this imagery here, to the level of a combat infantryman who in a protracted campaign, can eat their battlefield rations seated on the bodies of the fallen. That's powerful imagery, right? So think of, um, you know, you if, if there's a bunch of dead people around you, you wouldn't be able to eat lunch. But if you're in a war, and you've been in this war for a year, and you're a combat infantryman, you know, you gotta eat, right? And you're just, you're used to it, right? It's a numbness, it's a near narcoleptic state. And he says, a society that loses its sense of outrage is doomed to extinction. When four people bound and gag someone and torture them, that should never be normalized. But neither should 60 shootings in a weekend in Chicago. But it all has, and that's a problem. So we got two forces at work here. We have uh, progressives not all, some, who are, well, if they're old like Don, old enough like Don Lemon, then they're unwilling to. If they're younger, then they're unable to. But either way, unwilling or unable to call evil what it is. And then we have a society that can't even see evil right in front of our face because we're so desensitized to it. That's, that's, that's not good. We need to uh, re retune ourselves that 
can't be numbed anymore. We can't be numb. And we can't ever be afraid to call out evil when we see it. Because if you don't, then you'll get numb to it. one 3393 Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment. On the Blaze Radio Network. One last uh, quick segment on this, then we'll talk about toxic masculinity coming up next. I want to echo a uh, lecture from Victor Davis Hansen, who is the leading ancient military historian. This guy is so fascinating. He's a farmer in Fresno, and uh, I think he's a professor at Stanford now. Uh, the guy's a genius. And he gave a lecture a couple years back about Greece. And uh, it's I'll share one part of it. He talks about how... In the year about 220 BC, the Roman Republic was small. It was about a third the size of Italy. But they could defeat huge armies, massive opponents from all sides, Hannibal coming in from Spain and the rest. And the, and the Roman Republic could hold them back and defeat massive armies. But just a few hundred years later, when the Roman Empire is huge, rich, powerful, and they're not attacked by strong armies like Hannibal. They're attacked by thugs like Attila and the Huns and the Visigoths and the Vandals who like are nothing. They shouldn't have been a threat, but the Romans lost. Why? And he says, same story with the Greeks. In the year 400, they could push back 400,000 Persians, but just 100 years later, they couldn't stop 30,000 Macedonians. What gives? Why not? He says it's because Romans, first and foremost, and there's a few reasons, certainly, but the first and foremost, because Romans forgot what it meant to be Roman. They forgot what it meant to be Roman. And they weren't even sure if it was better than the alternative. And same thing, the Greeks forgot what it meant to be Greek. And if you forget, and you essentially give up because, you know, whether you're American or Mexican, I don't know, whatever, if you do that, history's cruel and you will be taken over. If you forget what it means to be American, for instance, then you will be eroded from within and you will be so weak that a, a pathetic invading army can take you over. That's how it's worked for all of history. And I'm not sure how invading armies work in the future, but one way or another, you can't survive as a people without, dare I say, patriotism. But that's what this progressive ethos is all about, right? What if there were no countries, we're citizens of the world, stuff like that. We'll talk about it a little later. So what does this have to do with Don Lemon? When you lose, and just personally, when you lose confidence in yourself, you're not going to achieve great things. You can't. And when we lose confidence in ourselves as a country, then we're not going to do great things as a country. Similarly, when we excuse evil behavior, when we excuse it as, as well, it's just bad home training, you are eroding our culture from within. Now, Victor Davis Hanson, in that same lecture, he goes on to say that the, the Greeks, the Romans, they were under no illusion that they had to be perfect to be good. We don't have to be perfect to be good in America. But when evil things happen, which they will because we live in a fallen world, you can stop the erosion by calling it what it is evil 
and then by seeking justice afterwards. But you have to be able to call it what it is. But to make excuse, you just allow it to erode. And we can't have that. To paraphrase Mark 325 and Abraham Lincoln, uh, a house divided cannot stand. A house eroded cannot stand. That is why it's important to call evil what it is. Remember the theme for the year. Whatever is true. Coming up next, toxic masculinity. Break it down. Coming up, Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. 